Uh, I was thankful that right before I got to leave, we were able to get those kiosks set up to make that a little more easy for, for each of you as parents to check your kids in. I rejoice that this past year at VBS, we had over 100 kids that registered, that came that week, that got to hear the gospel and got to hear the truth of God's word. I'm so thankful that we've been able to reach out to the kids in our community through our kids club at the Dale Community Center, where we've seen uh, lots of kids that maybe would never step foot in our church building that we've been able to minister to and to share share the truth of God's word. That's been one of the biggest blessings of my time here, just being able to reach out to these kids in the community. I could go on and on about what I've seen the Lord do in these past four years. And for many of you, you could go back further in the history of the church and you could recount God's faithfulness and God's goodness and God's work through the countless years that this church has existed. And so I'm extremely grateful to have been a small part of the history of this church body. And I pray that the Lord used me in some way to be a blessing, to be a benefit. I know you guys have been a blessing and a, and a benefit to us. And so I just pray the Lord used us in our time here and just seeing him work has been such an encouragement. And so as I say farewell to you all, I want to reflect on God's goodness and his faithfulness while I've been here, like Paul does to the Ephesian elders. So Paul reflects on the past, but next he moves on to a motivation for the present. We see this in verses 22 to 27. So he reflects on his past experience with the Ephesians. But here in verses 22 to 27, we see his present motivation. Look at verse 22 and following again. Paul says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day, that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So we see here Paul had received this revelation from the Holy Spirit that was constraining him to go to Jerusalem. And in the Holy Spirit's revelation, he knew that imprisonment, affliction awaited him there. And so the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would never see these Ephesian uh, elders ever again. He would never see their face again. And so I want to step back and, and ask the question. We so often read this and we, we know what happens, but, but step back and try to put yourself in Paul's shoes and just imagine knowing that God's calling you to something that would be painful, that would be hard, that would be complicated, and ask yourself, why would Paul even go to Jerusalem if he knew it would lead to his imprisonment and eventual death? Why not just go up to Ephesus and spend the remainder of his days encouraging, teaching, edifying the saints there at Ephesus that he clearly loved and cared for. Why not do that? That would be a benefit, right? He could protect them from these false teachers. He could advance the gospel from there. So why would he not do the, take the easy route and instead go to Jerusalem where he knew imprisonment and affliction awaited him? Well, we know that ultimately that would have been to disobey what the Lord was leading him to do. And we see so clearly Paul's motivation in verse 24. That he doesn't count his life of any value. He's not looking at his life as though it's so valuable that he's got to 
cling to it. He's got to protect it. He's got to do what he wants to do. Instead, he realized when he trusted Christ that his life was of no value. It was of only use and value in the, the Lord's eyes as far as advancing the gospel. And so his focus was completing the ministry that God had given him, which was to proclaim the gospel of God's grace to Jews, but especially to Gentiles. It reminds me of Paul's words in Galatians 2.20, this heart of surrender that he had, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Instead of looking for comfort and ease, Paul is motivated by doing what God had set him apart to do, which was to proclaim the gospel of God's grace. This was the ministry that God had entrusted to Paul, and that was Paul's motivation, obedience to the Lord and completion of this ministry that God had given him. So as we reference that verse, verse 24, as I mentioned before, this has been my life verse since not long after I surrendered my life to serve the Lord any way he led. And I know I've shared this before, uh, and, and I don't know if I've shared it since maybe when I candidated, but when I was 16 years old, between my sophomore and junior year of high school, I was able to go to a, a camp in North Carolina. And up to that point, you know, I was only a sophomore going into my junior year. You start to think about the future of what you're going to do, but at that point I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And I know people at church sometimes would ask me, you know, what are you going to do after you graduate? Uh, have you thought about ministry? They would ask me, and I remember my response was always, well, I just don't feel called to ministry. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I didn't feel called to ministry. And at that summer camp, the evangelist that was preaching that week on one of the nights, he preached on Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah sees this revelation of God and all of his holiness and God's on his throne. And Isaiah sees, you know, he sees the seraphim crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. And seeing God's holiness, Isaiah falls to the ground, right? He realizes his sinfulness, that he is a man who's unclean, that he's not worthy to stand before God. And yet God in that moment cleanses him. And then God, of course, in that passage cries out, whom will I send? Who will go for us? And you know Isaiah's famous response. After seeing God's holiness, after being cleansed from his sin, what does Isaiah say? Here am I, send me. And I remember the evangelist that night at camp saying, maybe you haven't been called to ministry because you've never surrendered yourself to ministry. Maybe you've never had a moment like Isaiah had where he recognized God's holiness, recognized your sinfulness, and you've said, God, whatever you'd have me to do, here, here am I, send me. And I remember being convicted that night. I remember thinking, yeah, I don't feel called to ministry, but I've never really surrendered to whatever the Lord would have me to do. And so that night during the invitation, the altar call, I remember praying and asking God, just surrendering to him, saying, Lord, whatever you'd have me to do, whether it be ministry, whether it be whatever, I'm surrendering to you. And so I, I know from that moment on, the Lord led me to youth ministry, and that was because my youth pastor had had such an impact on me, and so I began to pursue youth ministry, and so uh, began to take classes, learn to preach and teach in high school, and began to look toward Bible college, and as you know, I went, ended up going to Appalachian Bible College in West Virginia, where I met Kelly, and I also met this loudmouth guy that sounded like Red Green. I had to get, I had to get a couple more jabs in there, yeah. But look how the Lord worked through all that, even leading us to Bible college. And 
course, leading me to my wife, leading me to have the, the friendship, the relationship I've had with Justin for years. And at graduation at ABC, when you walk across the platform after you receive your diploma, and you've probably seen the towel that we get that's a reminder of serving, uh, you go to the pulpit up there and you quote a verse. And this was the verse that I quoted, Acts twenty twenty four. But I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And in my mind, in that moment, I had a pretty narrow view of what ministry meant, what it meant to be in ministry. In that day and age, and for many people even today, that idea of being in ministry means you get paid to do ministry. That's your job. That's your vocation. But it really wasn't until I stepped back from that vocational ministry in 2015 that I realized this was absolutely not the case. I look back at our time in, in South Carolina when I wasn't paid uh, a paid pastor or paid to do ministry, and I see the opportunities that I had to preach, to teach, to be a minister, to witness to my coworkers. Even after I moved here, there were coworkers that I had at Papa John's that reached out because they knew um, you know, just the opportunity I had to be able to minister to them and were asking for you know, counsel on, on different things. So I look back to that just the opportunities that I had to, to preach, to proclaim the gospel to co-workers who didn't believe. And I realized there's no such thing as being in ministry and out of ministry as a believer. You know, some people have asked about our plans moving forward um, and have said something like, well, you're not going to be in, in ministry anymore? And I have to kind of back up and graciously say, no, we're absolutely going to be in ministry, just not paid ministry, not vocational ministry. For those of you who don't know, um, and I've shared this with, with a number of you, but I still have people ask me, and so I realize the word hasn't spread, but I'm, as we move to Ohio, into Fairfield, Ohio, I'm going to be working at a, a Chick-fil-A in the area, which some people might consider still church ministry. But, <laughs> but the biggest factor in us coming to the decision for this job was that the owner, as I met with him and, and had the opportunity to interview with him, was very ministry-minded. He had a a vocational ministry background as well, and so he knew the perspective that I had. And when I interviewed with him, he halfway joked that he runs a for-profit youth ministry that does chicken on the side. And so you saw, I saw his heart for ministry. The last thing he said to me after our interview, just before I, I left, was that he had been praying for another male leader who was ministry-minded. And So the Lord stirred my heart to say, this is, feels to be the ministry that God's leading me to, to be a part of, to be able to minister to people there uh, where I work, but also to be freed up on Sundays to be able to, to plug in and to serve in a church faithfully, to encourage uh, the pastor there, that kind of thing. The opportunities to minister at my job as well as that flexibility is what, what led us to that. And I can admit that since announcing that we were stepping away and moving to Ohio, I've many times wondered, you know, you can't help but have second thoughts even when you feel like you've come to a decision. Is this really the way God's leading us? Wouldn't it just be a lot easier just to stay and to continue to serve here? And, and I've wondered that many times, but I've seen the Lord answer prayers so, so often in these last, this last month especially and leading us to this job and providing us a place to live. And in all these ways, I've seen God work that's just confirmed that this is the way that he's leading us. And so I want to apply this to you all today by asking this question. What is your motivation in life? 
What is your motivation in life? See, the truth is you may not be called to full-time ministry, but if you're a believer in Jesus, then believe it or not, you are in ministry. Every one of you that are sitting here today, if you know Christ as Savior, you are in ministry. Maybe not paid ministry, but you're in ministry. All believers are called to the ministry of proclaiming the gospel of God's grace to a lost and dying world. I'm thankful that Corey's been able to unpack that in the equipped time, to sh- how to share our faith. This is the call of all of us as believers to proclaim the gospel. So your ministry, whether you know it or not, is first of all to proclaim the gospel. If you've been saved, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're to share that with others. And you know one of the greatest lessons I've learned being in full-time ministry is that believers who aren't in full-time ministry usually have way more opportunities to share the gospel than those who are in paid ministry. Way more opportunities. You have coworkers that you're rubbing shoulders with. You don't have that stigma sometimes when people ask what you do and you tell them you're a pastor, they shut down, right? The, they're already guarded. But if you don't have that stigma of having that pastor in front of your name, the opportunities come. As I mentioned before, even after I moved here, just having those relationships with coworkers who didn't know Christ and being able to minister to them, you know, they called me even after I moved here. And so just the opportunities to witness to coworkers when you're not in paid ministry is amazing. And I try to witness to my coworker here. I just get yelled at and told that I'm already saved, right? <laughs> not, not true. Another one last jab, hopefully. Along with God's call for all of us as believers to preach the gospel, God's given each of us individual gifts and ministries to serve one another. So all of us are called to the ministry of proclaiming the gospel, but each of us as individuals have a specific gifting and a specific ministry that God would use us as far as building up the body of Christ. Maybe you're not good at standing up and preaching or teaching, but maybe you can clean the church. We've been advertising that need of, hey, somebody that can just come in and vacuum and sweep and clean up a little bit. Maybe you're not good with children, but maybe you're good at landscaping. Maybe you are, you know, you're not great with people, but you can serve in, you know, technology, things like that. There's so many ways that God has gifted us and gifted a a body, a local church body to serve one another. I'm thankful that we're all not gifted in the same way. We all have different giftings that God would use to build up the body. And so I ask you, what is your gifting? What is your ministry? As a believer, proclaim the gospel, but what is that other ministry that God has for you in serving the church body? As I've had conversations with people about us leaving, a lot of people have expressed, you know, that we're going to leave a huge void here. And while I appreciate what they're saying and I understand what they're saying to a degree, I'm excited to see people step into this, this void, to step into these various ways. And already the last couple months, as I've been able to train people up and prepare them for that, it's been an encouragement to see people step up and to want to serve in those ways. And I, I've had to be reminded, because there's so many times where you know, I stress and I wonder, is this going to be done you know, well? Is this gonna, am I training them properly? And I, I, I wonder what things are going to look like after we're gone. I hope there's not any hiccups, but... I have to remind myself, and really God has to remind me, that this ministry is bigger than any one person. And it's not my ministry, it's not Pastor Justin's ministry, it's not the elders, deacons' ministry, it's his ministry. And so I've had to, God's encouraged me that that I've got to just let go and let him 
work and let him use people. And, and, and as I've seen him work, I've seen him do just that. And so I trust that he's going to raise up the people to step up and serve in the ways that he's gifted to build up the body here. And I pray that this may be a challenge to some of you to do just that, to step up and to serve and to wonder how God has gifted you and could use you in this ministry. May our motivation be that of the Apostle Paul to do the ministry that God has called all of us to, which is to testify the gospel of God's grace and to also serve one another. And so Paul reflects in the past, he gives a motivation for the present, and lastly, he gives a caution for the future. Verses 28 to 32. Look at those again with me. Beginning verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that, at, that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to, the, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul, again, reflects on his pastime, what his present motivation and their motivation should be, but then he cautions them about the future. He warns them that there are false teachers that will come. I think this is maybe part of what the Holy Spirit had revealed to him, that, that there were false teachers that were lying in wait to discredit Paul's ministry, to discredit the gospel, to try to preach a different gospel. And so Paul warns them, be careful, pay careful attention for yourselves. He's talking to, to elders specifically. Be careful that you protect the flock that you preach the truth. So he cautions them about this. He challenges these elders to be alert against these dangers. Paul loves these believers so much that even when he does go to Jerusalem and is eventually imprisoned and taken to Rome, he writes to this church specifically, right? The book of Ephesians is written even after he's long gone and he could worry about himself in prison and his circumstances. He still loves this church so much that he writes them a letter to encourage them, to challenge them. Paul shows his care and concern for this church, and so he wants to prepare them for what awaits. Only the Lord knows what the future holds for Dell Bible Church. I've seen the Lord work in my time here, and I sincerely believe the best is yet to come for Dell Bible Church. I really do. The work that we've been able to do with IBL, I believe, is really going to help accomplish some great things for God's glory. It's been a great catalyst to think through things, to think through our motivation, our mission, our passion, and just get specific on some of the things that we want the Lord to accomplish. And so I really do sincerely believe the best is yet to come here at Dell Bible Church. I can't wait to hear reports from Pastor Justin, from others of what God's doing here down the road and to rejoice with you all to see God continue to work. But there's one caution I want to pass along, and I don't say this with any kind of special revelation from God as though God has said, Warn the people of what's to come. But here's the one caution that I would give you. That there will undoubtedly be some tough times ahead. What that looks like, I don't know. But I can guarantee that if this church continues to proclaim the gospel, seeks to stand on the truth of God's word, seeks to see people mature in their faith in Christ and their walk with Christ, there's going to be spiritual opposition along the way. I say this because it's so easy for us to think, that if God's blessing a ministry, it's going to be complete smooth sailing. It's going to be easy. There's not going to be any opposition. If God's blessing it, 
it's just going to be full bore ahead without any problems. And I say this because, honestly, I had this perspective to a degree when we moved to South Carolina before coming here. We, uh, we had had some challenges at the churches we were at before, just like all churches have challenges, and we started visiting a church in South Carolina, and from just the perspective of a regular attender, it seemed like, man, this church is problem-free, right? It really felt like that. We finally found a church that people love each other, they get along, there's just no issues, right? Well, that bubble was quickly burst when I stepped into leadership there and became an elder, and I realized, just like every church, there are problems, there are struggles, there are challenges that they were working through, and I remember being at first discouraged with that. God, why is there, are there no churches that, you know, just don't have these problems, these issues? And I think God used that to challenge me to say, look, if you find a church that doesn't have any problems or issues, they're probably not doing anything for the furtherance of the gospel or for God's glory, right? Because if they were, there'd be opposition from the enemy. And so God challenged me with that to say, you know what? Any church that is seeking to advance the gospel, is standing on God's word, is seeking to see people mature in Christ, the, the enemy is going to come after, right? And that's what's so fitting, too, as Paul writes Ephesians, that he says, hey, there's a spiritual battle to be fought, and here's the equipment, here's the armor of God to put on. And so I challenge you, there are going to be some tough times in the future, right? Not that, and I pray that there's nothing major, but we know that there's going to be opposition down the road. And so I say that to prepare you for when that inevitably happens, not to say, oh, there's just too many problems here, let's go on to the next church, and then what happens? You get there, and oh, there's problems here, and now let's go to the next church. No, I encourage you, as long as the leadership here is proclaiming the truth of the gospel, which I know they will, as long as they're seeking to see people mature in faith, stick it out, right? Push through the challenges. Be that support. Be that encouragement. Plug in. Don't just bail uh, on the ministry if there's tough times that come and when they do inevitably come. And so I want to encourage you in that way to be prepared for the future trials that inevitably await the church work here as they seek to advance the gospel. On the past and sharing his current motivation, cautioning them about the future. Paul, as we see there at the end of the passage in verse 36, down, let me just read it for us. It says, When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And so we see this emotional scene where he's said his farewells, he's told them he's never going to see their face again, and we see the, you can just imagine the scene of these men have labored together, and they're weeping. Paul, I'm sure, himself is weeping as they embrace, as they kiss Paul, as they then accompany him to the ship. They were especially sad, as it tells us there, because they would never see each other again in this life. Now, Lord willing, for us, this, this isn't the case. Lord willing, and only God knows, but I pray there are other opportunities that we get to visit here, that maybe I have the opportunity to, to preach or to teach in some occasion. So, Lord willing, this won't be the last time we see each other's face. And so I, I, I encourage you, hopefully there's not too much weeping today or crying. Uh, it's emotional to reflect upon our time here and to reflect upon um, just the relationships we've built. I know there will be embraces, there will be hugs. Lay off on the kisses, though, okay? That was a first century thing and 
But I will say, if after the service you guys want to accompany me to the van, that would be perfectly fine if you want to do that. But in all seriousness, we rejoice that God led us here four years ago. And we're so thankful for the time that we've been here, the blessings that you guys have been to us, the hope, hope, I hope that we've been a blessing to you all as well, that God has used us. And I just am thankful for the relationships that we've built uh, in these last four years. We love you all dearly, and we look forward to keeping in touch with each of you. And so I want my final words to be the words of Paul there in verse 32, as I sort of in, in some ways pass the baton and say goodbye. It's verse 32. Paul says this, and I say this to you now. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who were sanctified. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. I just thank you for this scene of Paul and being able to say goodbye to these brothers that he loves so dearly. And I just thank you for the opportunity to be able to do somewhat of the same this morning, to be able to have one last opportunity to reflect upon your work here and my time here and to look to our present motivation and encourage each of us to, to press on, to not count our life as valuable as though something we've got to cling on to, but God, to surrender to you and to what you'd have, whether that be paid ministry, whether that be serving in a lay capacity, whatever it may be, God, help us to be surrendered to your call of, of ministry, whatever that looks like in our lives. God, I thank you for just our time here, the relationships we built. God, just being able to see you work in so many ways, to be encouraged and to, to be blessed in, in more ways than we could even recount in this time. And so, God, I just thank you, and I just pray for this church body continuing forward, that you continue to bless, that you continue to work. And I thank you that you are, you've, you've helped them to set a, a, a firm foundation, which ultimately is upon your word, but the desire to proclaim the gospel, to see lives change, to see people come to faith and grow in their relationship with you. And so I just commend this church body to you that you continue to work. Lord, even when opposition comes, that you'd help the people here to be strengthened, to have unity with one another. And God, may you be glorified uh, in the midst of all that this church body does. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we close this morning.